0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is great to be with everyone. And uh, if I can say for me, Happy New Year. It's uh, my first Sunday up on the new year. I don't know about you, but last week, I, I love our youth takeover week. I think my favorite part of it is When I see our team up here and we have our students and they're leading us in worship, it gives me such hope for the future. And so uh, man, what a great week last week, great message that Charles brought with that. And uh, I'm glad to be with you. I am not working on my Barry White voice. I I have uh, since Christmas been suffering with the crud or whatever it is. Uh, I've tested negative for everything, COVID, RSV, all the stuff that's out there. I think it's just a good old fashioned cold. So I'm actually a lot better than I was. But if you you hear that, uh, that's what's going on with it. But I'm excited that we are here. We're launching this new year. There's so much going on right now. And I would encourage you, especially if you're new here at Venture, um, or you've just been attending for a little while, I, I really would encourage you, one of the traps you can get in is you can start attending a church for a long time and never jump in. And never really experience all the great stuff of a church. And so I'd encourage you, if you've not been in a life group, Come next week, prepared to jump into a life group. It will be a game changer for you. Uh, Women's Bible studies, all the different women's ministries, they launched this week with it. We're launching Better Man this week and I'll be teaching with it. We'll do it Thursday morning, 6.15. It's new curriculum. Uh, It's new Better Man curriculum. They've kind of broken out parts of it. You may be confused by five weeks. We usually go about 10 or 12 weeks. It's two sections of it. So this next section of it's a five week run, a man and his word. And and it's how do we as men engage the Bible, the word of God, and maybe, you know, uh, for a lot of guys you go, man, I've had no training in it. I don't really know. I feel awkward around it. It'll be a great study for you because we'll just approach that together. The only trade off it is early. I mean, we launch right at 6.15. Most guys show up at six, coffee, donuts. 6.15 we go. And part of that's by design. Uh, We scheduled it the one time we feel like we're not competing with other responsibilities in your life. And so, uh, you you know, you probably don't have work at 6.15, most of you. Uh, Most of your family doesn't want to hang out with you at (laughs) 6.15. And so it's pretty free time. That, and so we do it by design in that, that we can do it then, and then free you up as a man for the other responsibilities. So we would love for you to be a part of it. So much going on between students, children, all the different parts. Just make sure you plug in, jump in. Because I love worshiping together, but this is such a small part of what God's called us to do as a church. And I'd hate for you to miss out on that. I, I thought since we're launching a new series, 2024, thought we would take a, a little bit of time just to pray, pray for this year, pray for our church, pray for our country. And I think it's a particularly appropriate this weekend as we remember the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, just his serving and his sacrifice in it. And I, I look at what's going on in our country and so many different levels, One of the quotes from Dr. King that's always stood out to me, he says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And and I thought, you know, if there was ever a time for the church to be the church, it's now. Because you can kind of look out and you see darkness in different places. You hear hate, you see conflict in all the different parts. And we serve the God who is actually the light of the world. We serve the God who is actually love himself. And so as we, as his church, point people to him, call people to him, that's the only thing that drives out darkness and hate is our God and our savior, Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world. And he's the love incarnate who came down because he loved us so much. Why don't we take just a moment? If you'll bow with me, let's just pray together. Father, we do come before you and we lift up this year. We see 2024 in front of us and uh, we see conflict going on around our world. We see events that seem so beyond us. We hear the different voices. Lord, we we lift up before you and we come to you because we recognize the only reason we have any light at all is because you have been so gracious to share it with us. The only reason we even understand what it means to love is because you love and you loved us first. Lord, I, I pray I pray this year, there's different people in the room that are facing so many different things. Some are facing illness. Some are facing struggles with mental health. Some are facing a loss of job. Some are struggling in their marriage or their relationships, their friendships. Some feel so alone right now. Lord, I, I pray even now you give them a vision of who you are as the light of their life, as the one who loves them more than anyone else. Lord, we pray as a church, you would show us how to shine this light well, how to live in this truth. And the reality is we point people to you and we point people to Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, we are launching a sermon series in the book of Acts. And and I feel like Acts is really important for us as a church right now. Sometimes it's good to go back to the beginning of how something was launched, what God was doing, and the book of Acts launches and, and shows us how Jesus launched his church, how Jesus is playing for his church, what he's doing. We don't face the same circumstance, but we serve the same savior and he gives us the same model as he sends us out in it. And especially for us as a church, Because we have uh, come out of a season, if you're new here, last fall, significant season in the life of our church, we've come out of a breakthrough campaign. And the whole purpose of this campaign is, we believe God's called us to be a missional church to our community. We believe that uh, Venture is uniquely situated, we're uniquely gifted, we've got people who love Jesus in this church. And we're in a unique place where he has literally brought the ends of the earth to our doorstep all around us. And and we live in San Jose, the most diverse city in the US. And more language groups, more people all around us. We live in a place where not only the people that he's brought here, the impact that comes out of here from the companies and all of the technology and and cutting edge with that, what happens in the Bay area, what happens around us impacts the world. And so our desire, and we feel like our mission from God is, how do we reach our neighbors and our friends so that if the gospel were to break out here, man, what would be the impact worldwide? And so we did that campaign with two goals in it. One, to maximize this campus, not to do church more. We've got a great facility for doing church, but to build facilities that people and neighbors and friends would connect with them, whether it's an event center or a sports complex with the gym, whether it's our backyard or front porch, or coffee shop that's open, whether it's the app that's with that, whether it's a venture institute, all of these things designed, how do we create that space? How do we build that bridge for people who maybe they've come from the ends of the earth, but that doesn't mean they're any closer to wanting to have a relationship with Christ. And so we wanna maximize this campus while, and here's the important part, while mobilizing this church body to be missionaries, to think and to engage, to know how to share that good news in a winsome way, but in a way that speaks to the issues of our day. That's been the goal of that campaign. Just to give you some update, because we want to keep you informed on that. Some of you have asked around that. Uh, as far as total commitment, and will just give you a breakthrough update. As far as total commitment of pledge cards and what people have committed to the campaign to give over the three-year time period, we're up to 25,287,000. Yeah, uh, that's probably a couple more than I think the last time was shared. People keep turning in, people keep committing. Some have asked, is it too late to jump in? No, <laughs> we'd love to have you. If God's leading in your heart, you go, yeah, I, I wanna make a commitment to that. And then, you know, we, we finished the campaign in November. And since that campaign in that time, the money given to date is 6,063,000. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And, and, and hear me on that, because here's what I recognize. That is what's given to breakthrough on top of if you're, you're like us, man, you support general giving and you support outreach giving and then people are graciously giving breakthrough on top of that. Uh, Lee and I as a, a family, we're right there with you. We, we recognize that journey. And, and for us, it's a faith step as we step out. And I know that's the same for you. There's so many of you here that God has led in your heart and you, you sacrificially are responding to him. And I know that is a movement that he's doing in your heart, but hear me, thank you. Man, thank you for stepping out by faith. Thank you for for enabling us now as teams. We're not sitting around waiting for, oh man, we got to get all this in. We are mobilized right now. We have different groups and, and God has gifted this church with such great leaders, especially on our elder board and connected around that. I've had some people ask me, almost like worried that we've got a group of pastors sitting here trying to figure out how to do building plans and, and apps and all that. I'm like, no, we, we, we have experts and they're working right now. And here's where they're focused right now, both the planning, the process, uh, process and to get all the expertise on the table that we do this the right way that we make sure we get bids the right way, that we work with the city the right way in the town. And by the way, the planning commission has been so favorable so far. And we we see that as as a part of prayer and as you're praying around that. And so there's a diligent process of how do we roll out each of these projects and do it in a way that one, we wanna see it happen fast, but we also wanna steward well every penny of this. I mean, we, we feel a weight of responsibility of Lord, how do we maximize that? And so to do that, you have to have those who have the expertise who come alongside you to help do that in a way. And so God is answering those prayers and we're excited about that. But that's just the facility side. Remember the whole other part of it is mobilizing our church body. How do we have a mindset? Because if we don't mobilize as missionaries, you can look up one day and you got a lot of new facilities that doesn't change anything. If we as a church, are not mobilized to use every part of that to reach our friends and our neighbors, to live as a missional church. And that's why I think the book of Acts is so important for us right now, because we go back and we go, man, how did they do it when it was just a band of them and they didn't have any money or very little speak of. And Jesus launches this church that has changed the world. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. If you're using the blue Bible in the room, you can use that in front of you. It's uh, page 1,080. And if you need a Bible, you're welcome to take that one with you. So if you've got a pen and you want to mark it up a little bit, feel free to do so. That's what they're there for, is uh, we we like getting the Bible in people's hands because we know it changes how you approach God in your life and it's the living word. And so Acts chapter one, and we're gonna look at it in these first 11 verses of just as Jesus is launching, not just his church, his kingdom. Remember he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, now he's launching that kingdom. And as you look as he does this, and and we're gonna look through the the issues of the kingdom, five things that he kind of points out, the proof and then the promise, and then the power and then the purpose, and then finally the perspective. And I love that Luke wrote it in a way that we can alliterate five different things. So, you know, he's nice to us in that. But we have these things as he's looking at the kingdom in it. And if you look at the first part, the the proof of of why we can trust this, and if you look in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, if you're new to this and you go, what is he talking Who's Theophilus? Who's the first book? This is written by Luke. And so Luke is referring to his gospel, Luke. Uh, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament. In fact, you, you can ask a question, who wrote most of the New Testament? Paul. Paul. Actually, Paul wrote the most books in the New Testament. Luke wrote the most words. You can look it up, the the Acts and Luke together, cumulatively, is more real estate than anything else. And some of you don't believe me, you're Googling it right now. (laughs) You've always known this answer on that, on Luke, both of them are pretty exhausted. And, And he's uniquely designed, and what we find with Luke in this, is he proves to be a reliable historical researcher. In fact, if you go back to his gospel in Luke, he, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. And so both books, he writes it to this Theophilus. We don't know if Theophilus was one person who was kind of skeptic, who's investigating, or if it's a general name that he's using for anybody that's coming to it and going, man, I wanna know about these events. And so Luke was uniquely gifted by God. He was a doctor, he was a physician. And we're gonna see him in the book of Acts. He goes on missionary journeys with Paul. And because of his access with Paul, he also has access to all the apostles. He has access to the church in Jerusalem. He has access to Jesus's brothers. And as this doctor, this researcher, he starts writing a detailed account, as he said, first of the life of Jesus, and then he's gonna do the same thing of the launching of the church. And because of that, we have this historical record that because of the way Luke's wired, he includes more details than any of the other writers. So much so that there were centuries, you can go go back a few centuries ago, when many critical scholars who kind of came to the Bible and they said, these stories aren't really true. Luke was one of the places they picked on the most, both his gospels and Acts. Because he mentioned so many cities and rulers and governors, and at that time period, they didn't have historical records of it. Archaeology wasn't as developed in that time. In fact, there's a famous archaeologist, William Ramsey, who's a historian and archaeologist. He went to the Holy Land with the express purpose of disproving Luke. And so he went to different sites and cities and places where Luke said that things happened and they began digging. And every time the archaeology kept proving Luke to be true. So much so that Ramsey came to Christ. In fact, he, he writes in it, he, he said, I, you know, I looked at it and, and I saw with this background that he mentions governors that had not been mentioned before and we found evidence of it. He mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands. It gradually dawned on me that in each of these details, the narrative showed this marvelous truth. Luke is a historian of the first rank. I I love God that he loved us so much that he goes, you know, for everyone that follows this, for everyone who's gonna read these stories about Jesus and about the church, I need someone uniquely gifted with the details. I need someone uniquely gifted with telling this history in a way. And we have that in Luke. And and by the way, since Ramsey's time, Archaeology continues to confirm Luke as this historian of the church. Now, Luke is proved to be a historian. The greatest proof though is Jesus. Jesus uh, proves to be the risen savior. And and if you look at this, he says in the next verse, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke says, I've been researching. Let me tell you about what happened between Jesus' resurrection and the launching of the church in Acts. Jesus had 40 days after he was resurrected before he was ascended to the Father. And during that 40 days, look what he's doing. He he shows them, I really am alive. And and I I love this because he does it with many proofs. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Two things Jesus needed to do with his disciples. One, he's got to convince them, I really am alive. And and I think it emphasizes how amazing the miracle the resurrection really was. That it wasn't just like a one time they saw him and they go, okay, we got it. Like he's coming up to them again and again. Hey, come here, come here, touch, see, it's real. Let's have a meal together. Let let me talk to you. Let me show you the scriptures that were all pointing to this happening and why this happened. Let me change your mindset about what this kingdom is because you guys keep thinking it's gonna be a physical kingdom right here in Israel and back on the throne and overthrow Rome and all that. And they even thought, man, resurrected savior is gonna do that. He goes, oh no, no, this kingdom is so different. It's so further widespread. And Jesus is using this time period to prove it to them. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about it, though. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't go to someplace public and go, hey, look. He didn't prove his resurrection with power. He didn't prove it by overcoming authorities out of that. In fact, Henry Nouwen has an interesting quote. Listen to his words with it. He said, the resurrection of Jesus is actually a hidden event at this time. He didn't rise from the dead to prove those who had crucified him that they'd made a mistake or confound his opponents. Nor did he inri- to rise to impress the rulers of his time or to force anyone to believe. Jesus' resurrection was a full affirmation of the father's love. Therefore, he only showed himself who knew about this love. He made himself known as the risen Lord only to his followers. There's probably no event in human history that has had such importance while remaining at the same time so unspectacular at that time. The world didn't notice. Only those to whom Jesus had chosen to show himself and whom he wanted to send out to announce God's love to the world just as he had done. And I think this makes a strong statement about his kingdom, by the way. Because one, it requires faith to enter the kingdom of God. And by design, he presented himself to his followers, did to actually 500 of them. He showed them many proofs, but he designed it in a way that he's not gonna show himself that, man, I'm gonna prove myself by power. I'm gonna overcome by power. Now he's coming back one day and he will fully display his power but his first mission to earth was as a savior. And it takes faith to believe that. And as he launched his kingdom, he didn't launch his kingdom, remember he told him, put away the sword. He didn't launch his kingdom by setting up a government. He didn't launch his kingdom with all the power moves that the world did. He launched a kingdom of love through the power that we're gonna see of his Holy Spirit. See this proof of Jesus who he is, then leads to the promise of what's to come. And if you look at the promise, he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. And notice who's the promise is from, it's the promise from the father. So he said, this is something God's been promising. The promise of the father, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. He makes this contrast in the promise between the two different types of baptisms. And so John, as we know from it, John's baptism was for repentance in preparation for what God was about to do. John the Baptist, he got the nickname Baptist because he did so many baptisms, by the way. That was a core part of his ministry. And if you read, what what did John the Baptist do? He came and he preached against that generation. He preached against their sin. He says, you guys need to get prepared for what's about to come. And you got baptized by John as a sign of repentance. Yes, I am sinful and I want to be prepared for what God's about to do. And the greatest thing that John did is he pointed to Jesus because all of that preparation was in pointing to what Jesus was about to culminate in his ministry. And so all of that is in preparation. The Spirit's baptism is different. The Holy Spirit's baptism. Now, as soon as I say that term, Holy Spirit baptism or baptism of the Holy Spirit, depending on your church background, that can be a loaded term. And sometimes there's a lot of baggage and there's a lot of debate and all the different parts. We will get in the next couple of weeks as we look at that, we'll explain more what what that means, What does mean what it doesn't mean what parts of those are normative for all time with that I really don't want to get in debate with that right now I just want us to look at the promise when he's talking about the spirit's baptism he's pointing to the fact that the spirit's baptism is the catalyst for the transformation that God is doing in us when you come to Christ make a statement with that I believe when you come to Christ you're baptized in the spirit you're baptized into Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit with that And in that moment, I'm no longer working in preparation and I'm repenting in order for God to do. And I want to be ready for what he's about to do. I'm now experiencing what Christ has done and the power of the Holy Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what's unleashing that power in me for God to change me. Paul says it this way in Romans six, he says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus we're baptized into his death. He's not talking about our water baptism per se. He's talking about that spirit baptism that you are baptized into Christ. You're baptized in his death. We've been buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he says, when you come to Christ, when you're baptized, when the Holy Spirit and you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's what happens in that moment. You are buried with Christ. All of your sin, all that you've done, died with Christ. You are raised with Christ. You experience new life now. Doesn't mean you've reached that point of perfection, but the work of Christ is done in you. And that transforming power is now unleashed through this Holy Spirit life that God's placed His Spirit within you, through you. It's unbelievable. Now, remember what he said, it's the promise of the father. When did the father promise this? Well, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you see in Jeremiah 30, you see in Ezekiel. So you see these places where he said, hey, you guys have been living under this old covenant, which is part of the old kingdom, but I'm about to launch a new covenant. I'm launching a new kingdom. And it's gonna be based on the fact that no longer is it the laws that are written on tablets actually the spirit is gonna write it on your heart. I will place my spirit within you. And so even this new work, it was always a part of God's ongoing redemptive plan. And now that promise is being fulfilled because of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's one thing, I just pause in this moment because there's such a difference between those two baptisms and those two ways of approaching life. John's baptism served a purpose, but it was a purpose of preparation for what God's going to do. Those of us who've been baptized in the spirit, Christ has done it. And I say that because I think there's some people that still live under almost that first baptism. You spend your whole life of, oh man, I need to repent. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh man, I hope I can can be good enough to be a part of what God's gonna do. And you're trying to strive for something. When the beauty of the kingdom of God is Christ has done it. The spirit unleashes it. And so we wanna be filled more. We want our life yielded to him more. But there's this unbelievable place of resting and what Christ has done. That you don't always have to strive to try to be good enough for God when he had launched his whole kingdom based on Christ was good enough. And you died with him and you rose with him in that baptism. And, and when it did, when it did it unleashed This unbelievable power, look at the power of it. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time you're gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they're still caught on the old way. Man, are you gonna put Israel in place? We're gonna have kingdom. You're gonna put us on the throne. We're gonna do this, it's it's good with the power with that. And, And notice what he says. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed in his own authority. Now, there's a part of why they're asking that is God had made promises to Israel and man, are you going to restore the kingdom in that? And I believe he will fulfill those promises before the end. But Jesus said, this isn't the time. And actually it's not yours to even know the time. And and we would do well to pay attention to this verse because we can get real caught up in trying to figure out the times. And, And we, man, you can track it. And you ever see the people, they track every detail. It's coming, we're right there, it's on it. I mean, I was a kid that grew up in the church. I remember back in the 70s, there was a guy named Hal Lindsey. He wrote this book, Late Great Planet Earth. And he had tracked all the reason it was happening before the 70s were over. And you went to youth group and they showed movies like Thief in the Night, you know, with it. It's kind of like a Christian horror movie. It really was, it was kind of, with it. And and I, I mean, I was determined, I will never get married. I'll never be an adult. It's happening. And then I remember the 80s, 1988. Book came out, 88 Reasons, Jesus is coming back in 1988. And they based it on prophecy, because you know, one generation will not pass, and one generation, they've been in on the land, 1948, 1988. It's all the reasons, and everybody was like, "Oh," And every time that happens, I kind of go, Jesus told us, it's just, it's just not yours to know. God's going to do this. Now we want to pay attention to the times and seasons, but we don't have to fix them. And and he says, you can trust with this. He's got it in your authority, in his authority. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. He's looking at him and going, guys, you've yet to experience the power he's about to unleash in you. You've yet to experience what he's gonna do with that power. And, and, and what he's pointing out with it is the presence of the spirit brings the power of God in us. This is the unbelievable part. That word power, you've probably heard it before in the Greek, it's, it's dunamis. I mean, we get dynamo or dynamite or dynamic, all of that, that, that power to, to change us from the inside out. That power to accomplish his kingdom, by the way. That's why he can look at this ragtag band and and he's about to make the most audacious claim of what they're gonna do across the whole planet based on who they were. But he knows it can happen because he knows the power that comes with the spirit. That's what I'd say with it. If God has a plan, he certainly has the power to accomplish it. And you can know this is true in his church. You can know it's true in your life as well. If God has a plan for you, he's got the power to do it. And, and I love in this case, because I think we've gotten so dulled, we're 2,000 years later, we're so used to it. We, we've seen the story after the fact that we, we forget how unbelievable Jesus' claim is in this verse. When he looks at this group, remember, they're still trying to figure out it the kingdom of Israel and all this stuff. You look at the infighting they had done. They just, I mean, within weeks, they had denied him before, all these different parts, but he looks at him, he goes, oh no, you guys are about to be so powerful. And man, we're gonna take this, you're gonna be witnesses, we're gonna take it worldwide. We're going global guys. We're taking the planet with this. I mean, if you, if you were on that hillside and you're looking at this group and you're going, "Uh, Jesus that's pretty audacious. I, I, I laugh when I think of, you know, the predictions In our culture today, man, people, they they do predictions, sports predictions. In fact, you know, for me, it's a good story, probably not for most of you. I remember 30 years ago, 30 years ago, January of 1994, NFC Championship game, Cowboys 49ers. A week before the game, they asked the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson, about the game. And these were clearly two best teams in the NFL and everybody was kind of walking on eggshells around it. And he said, week before, he said, we will win the game, I guarantee it. He said, put it in three inch headlines on the newspaper. Everybody was like, oh, bulletin board material, oh, this. And Later that week, they won the game. In fact, Jimmy Johnson's legacy, they still bring it up, you see specials on Johnson. Oh, he was so bold, he made that prediction and, you know, stepped out there. Now. Hear me, it is not lost on me that I have to go back 30 years to find stories of the Cowboys beating the Niners, I'm well aware. Yeah, and no Cowboys fans are making those kind of predictions this year, I promise you. But it's almost laughable to me that everybody's like, oh, what a bold prediction, oh, he really stepped out. And I'm like, really, it was two football teams. They're playing a week later. This year, somebody's gonna come forward and they're gonna announce, oh, I'll tell you who's gonna win president. Now they'll probably say about five people. They just say it in different places. And then whoever wins, they come forward. I called it.
1: And everybody, oh, they're
0: the greatest pundit. They called it and all that. Guys, 2000 years ago, Jesus called it. He he looked at this group and, and he said, I'm going to change the planet through you. And if you'd looked at the group, you would probably go, this is crazy. But he did it. Because he knew he had the power to do it. And if you look over the last 2000 years, you look at the impact of Jesus Christ. You look at how it has changed countries. It's changed homes. It's changed neighborhoods. It's changed the way we approach human rights. It's changed the way women and children are treated. It's changed the hospital system. It's changed charity as we know it. It has literally shaped the planet for good in the path of Jesus Christ. And he did it through his church. He did it through us. I mean, it's a good reminder for us today, by the way. I love our church. I love our church. I love the fact that we can have impact here. I love what God's doing through it. I love the life change that comes out of it. But hear me, I get to work on the inside. I love our staff. I know all of us though. There is not one person on staff who is gifted and godly enough to change one life. We don't have the ability. And it's this good reminder every so often to step back and go, oh yeah, if anything's happening here, it's actually the power of God. I, I've had the privilege over the last 30 years to interact with different leaders and ministries, sometimes kind of celebrity ministries or churches. Every so often you'll hear this it church. Oh, this is the it church. Oh, that's the church. And you kind of go and I'll go and go to a conference or investigate. And, and then when you get on the inside a little bit and you see how the sausage is actually made and it, it can be disappointing. You go, oh, this, this is it. I mean, they're just people. And I think we have this propensity that we want, we want to put leaders and spiritually, we put them up on this pedestal and it's cause they're so special cause they've done something. Uh, guys. I'm I'm telling you, you do that, you'll always be disappointed. It's because God's special. And and God never declared, I'm going to change the world. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go find the most impressive, gifted people in the world. And my team will be stronger because they're so great. And we're going to change the world. He never said that. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, you know what I'm going to go? I'm going to go get the weak and the foolish and watch what I do. And, and, and I, I say this because some of you, you have baggage with church and it's probably rightful baggage in places. And I'm not saying any of this to excuse that. It needs to be dealt with. Church needs to be an account with that. But you can spend all your time using the problem with the people in the church as evidence why you shouldn't believe. When for me, it's the opposite. It's evidence for how awesome God is. Because he did what he has accomplished through us. Sometimes despite us. It's unbelievable power of God from day one. And that power was given not so that, man, we're powerful. Not that we would even point it at ourselves. If you look at it, He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is coming to you that you will be my witnesses. That's the purpose of the power. That's the purpose of the church. That's why we're here. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, we are witnesses, pointers to who Jesus is and what he's done. That is why we're here. We're pointers. That's why he gives us this power. That's why we get to share the good news is we have the ability that, man, he is changing our lives. He's doing this work from the inside out. And we point people to the person of Christ. That's what as a church we're committed to. That's when we talk about this campaign we're doing. Yeah, there's facilities going. The part I'm more excited about is how do we mobilize you? How do we mobilize together? How do we think like missionaries? How can we be better pointers? How can we share that good news? Because where that power is there, And where the spirit is there, you will always point to Jesus. The presence and the power of the spirit always result in the proclamation of Jesus. It always does. That's his purpose. When he came, he's always pointing to Jesus. He's always directing people to Jesus. He's giving glory to Jesus in that. And I think that's important for us to realize. He didn't pour out the spirit on us just so we can have more spiritual experiences. So we can come together and we get, man, we have this spirit filled gathering all the time. And man, it was such a good experience for us. Those are all byproducts, by the way. I love them, love it and worship, but that wasn't the purpose. Cause that would be inward. He said, I'm gonna pour out my spirit to you. Why? So you can point to Jesus too, just like the Holy Spirit does. So you can call people to him. So that you can share him. And as a church, <laughs> That is our purpose here. And w- when we lose that purpose, when we lose that power of it, we've lost what it means to be a church. And, th- and I purposely chose the word proclamation here because proclamation means a verbal sharing. As much as sometimes we reduce it down to, yes, I'm a pointer of Jesus to Jesus by being a good example. And so I'm gonna be a good example, I'm gonna be a nice loving person. And man, I hope people see Jesus in it. I hope they do. I hate to break to you, they're never gonna to come to Jesus through just being a good examples. And here's why I say this, because Jesus wasn't just a good example. If Jesus was a good example, then being good examples is all we would have to do because then we point, you'd be a good example too. Jesus was the savior of the world who died on the cross and he rose again. And people don't come to that unless somebody shares it with them. And so the goal of it would be, how do I live my life? That yes, I'm a good example. I am winsome with it. I am loving, I'm the best neighbor. I'm the best worker. I'm the best boss. I'm, I'm living in a way that they go, man, I like being around your house. I like being around you. Or they're living in a way that go, man, I see the brokenness in your life. But boy, you were so open about that and you're walking with it. Man, I see how you bring that stuff to God. It doesn't matter where you're starting in the journey. You can be that pointer But in that journey, and this is our goal as a church, how do we know how to actually verbally share that? How do we bridge those gaps? How do we have those conversations? How do we walk with them? Because sometimes it's a long journey. Guys, I'm not talking about, man, we run out and you just go share Jesus with people, done with you. No, that's not being a good missionary. That's not a good pointer. And frankly, that doesn't work in our culture today. We've been called to a unique place. But we've been called to do that. We've been called to share it. And when you leave it out, you've kind of just lost the essence of who we are as church. When we stop doing that, Daniel Downey put it this way this week. He's like, it's like if you made chocolate chip cookies and you left the chocolate chips out. You can have a decent cookie. And as a church, you can have a decent church. You can have all the elements we worship and we teach and we know and all, all that. Guys, if we leave out pointing people to Jesus, you've left out the chocolate chips. It may be a cookie, it's not a chocolate chip cookie. And Jesus said, this this is the essence, you're pointed to that. And then right in the middle of it, look what happens. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, I, again, I can't imagine how surreal this is. You're sitting there with Jesus. He's about, he's just blown your mind with, hey guys, we're about to take this global. You're gonna have power on you. The Holy Spirit's coming. You're gonna be witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I think they're all going, whoa. And then suddenly he starts going up. And they're like, whoa, wait, what? And then all of them are just staring up. Like, did, did he just leave? Did he just leave in a way I've never seen before? Where did he go? I mean, I, I'd be looking like, is he in a cloud? Did I, I just, your mind would be blown in that moment. And so they're just staring. And finally the angels kind of pop through. They're like, guys, hello. He's coming back. In fact, he's going to come back this way, come back through the clouds. But until then, be about what he called you to. And, and I love that, that whole image. One, I just, it had to be so surreal for the guys, but I love that God sent the angels. He's like, hey, you need to go help them out a little bit. They need some explanation here. And notice the explanation. It wasn't about like, oh, what's next or that part of it. He takes them all the way to the end. He goes, hey, hey guys, trust me. He's got you. He's coming back. And, and I think part of it is with what they're about to go through because as they go to live this out, by the way, it gets really hard and they're persecuted. Most of them are killed. Now you're gonna see a totally different church than they were in Luke, totally different guys because the Holy Spirit's about to unleash that power in them, but it gets hard. And, And I love before he launches them through this next season, he doesn't tell them what's right around the bend the next season, but he tells them how it ends. And I think it's helpful for us as well. We know how this ends. Because Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. There's days I look at it and go, "Ooh, I think it's soon. But I don't know. God hasn't given it to me to know the times or seasons. And yet I think there's this this part of it that comes when you live with that in your perspective. In fact, if you read through the early church, they lived with that all the time. You'll hear it show up in Paul's teachings, others with that. There's just a Jesus coming back. They said, well, we've got this season. Let's be about what he called us to. There's a certain relief that comes that you go, okay, I know how it ends. I don't know if you ever experienced like a movie that's that's tense or a movie that you don't know how it's gonna turn out or the story. I love the Lord of the Rings. I love those, you know, the books I remember reading the first time when I was a young man and then watching the movies with that. And there's a part of it, your first time through it, you're like, how is this gonna happen? This epic battle between good and evil and all that. But after you know the ending, I almost enjoy watching parts of it now more. I watch them in battle at Helm's Deep and they're overwhelmed and the army's coming. And then you go, yeah, but I know what's coming. Gandalf's about to be at the top of the hill and he's got the staff and the riders with them. And you're like, yeah, this is gonna get good. And it changes your perspective in the moment because you go, okay, I know. See, I think there's a part of it that, man, as these guys and and for us, as we go in 2000 years of of taking this good news, of sharing this, of watching His kingdom unfold, there's a part of it where it's hard in it and there's opposition and there's struggles. It's good to know how it ends. See, here's the certainty I have of my life. I know one of two things are gonna happen in my life. Either I will face death and the moment I do, you know what, I get to be in the presence of Jesus or I'm gonna get to be in the presence of Jesus seeing him come through the clouds. Boy, that's a good ending either way because Jesus is at the end of it and everything's better with Jesus. We, we don't know what's around the next bend, but we do know how it ends. And, and how would it change if we lived in light of that reality every day? How would it change this next season? How would it change as we approach reaching out to our neighbors and our friends? How would it change when we find ourselves stressed out about what's around the bend? Now, years ago, I'll close with this. I was uh, taking my daughter, Kate, to kindergarten. It was either kindergarten or first grade. The school she went to though, it's a public school and neighborhood in that, it had the world's worst drop-off system. I don't know who designed it. And it was maddening because the cars would back up. You'd you'd be in lines forever. And you looked at, and every time I pulled in, my brain would just get fried and I'd get frustrated because I could come up with 10 different ways to fix this. And I'm always, I was every day, I'm grinding. All right, if they would do this and that. And one morning we're in the line and I am grinding. And Kate goes, oh, daddy, daddy. She's in the back seat. Look at the clouds. And, and I kind of did the dad thing. Oh, yeah, 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 that's great, Kate. And she goes, no, no, daddy, look at the, look at the light. Look at the light and the clouds. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah Kate, daddy's kind of busy fixing a problem no one asked him to fix. So just let me focus here. And she goes, yeah, okay. It just reminded me of Jesus. I was like, Jesus. And then, and then I, I really did look and saw, and it was this, this cloud and the center of the cloud was missing. So this shaft of sunlight was coming straight through the middle of it. Really was cool. And, and, and then she said, daddy, I love it when it does that. Sometimes I just think Jesus is gonna pop out. <laughs> and then she smiled at me and she said, wouldn't it be great if he came back today? Now in that moment, I, my, my first thought was, your mother's doing a much better job discipling you than I am. <laughs> really, because that wasn't for me. <laughs> But then the second thought was, yeah, it really would be. And, and why am I so upset about this? Why did I get so caught up in that? And it didn't change what is facing in front of me. But boy, it's a different perspective. See, some angels came and they said to those guys, but I think they're saying it to us too. He's coming back. He's got you. He loves you. You can trust it. He's got you. And so live in light of that with whatever you're facing right now. And while you're here, You get this unbelievable, unique opportunity to see the power of God do something in us that's so much bigger than us. As we get to point people to who he is as well. I don't know what's around your bend, but if you know Jesus, I promise you this, I know how it ends and that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I just thank you for just Jesus. Thank you for what he did both in the gospels, but then to see it unleashed through us is such an unbelievable miracle. Lord, I I pray for each person here. I pray for some that there's something in front of them right now, and it is frightening. It is hard. It's pressing down on them. Lord, I pray they can live in the reality you haven't forgotten them. You have both the plan and the power to enact it in their life. And they can trust you. Lord, I pray for each of us as a church. I I just pray while we have this time, we don't know the seasons, but in this season you've called us to live. Could we point people to Jesus? Because we recognize he changes everything. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.